Tasting Anarchy, your wine and liberty podcast. Join Mason and Jake each week as they try new wines and discover how much government is in your drink. All right, Mason, this is a good uh, episode for just you and me this week. I, I don't know. I, I've, I've been I've been kind of like going back and forth on how we should do introductions because like I mm-hmm. sort I still sort of feel like I should be like this is Jake from Tasting Anarchy and I'm joined by Mason, but uh, well, I, I don't know. I, I think. I think it is good to establish whose voice is who. Yeah, I guess. But that's I don't true. think we need to say this is Jake or Mason from Tasting Anarchy because they already know that. That's true. And so I think what a good intro would be, Jake. What are you drinking tonight? All right. Well, that that is a good intro, and I'll go ahead and talk about this once again. I am drinking a Texas wine because I like to buy things that are in the state that I live in. Uh, and things that aren't because given your huge oh, that's shipment true. that's on the way. Well, that's true. So actually after this wine, it's going to be – well, actually it probably won't be a very long time because, you know, at Childeberg, you and I are going to get some wines from three three wineries in that area. But And we, oh boy, do we have an announcement about Childeberg. Oh yeah, we do. So uh, that's going to be we'll, – we'll, we'll save that toward the end. But, mm-hmm. but this week I have got a pretty good – well – Here's the thing is you and I talked a little bit about the show, and I don't want to be dishonest to the listeners. Um, mm-hmm. And I also don't want to berate the winery or berate. Is that the word? Berate? A berate would be like shouting negatives. Okay. So you never berate yeah. anybody. That's true. That's true. So I told you before the show started, I was like, well, I'm not going to say anything bad about them. And and you and I, as we talked, I kind of I kind of reevaluated that a little bit. Um, so this wine is from – uh, Blue Lotus Winery. Uh, I I visited them and I really really liked their location. It was very pretty. I have some pictures. I think actually I actually put them up on Instagram. So if you guys want to go check out uh, my Instagram, which is you just check look up Jacob Lindsay, and you'll find my Instagram or L I N Z Y. That's right. L I N. That's right. L I N Z Y. I might have put some of them up on the Tasting Anarchy one. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I didn't, you know what? I'm going to check after this and see, and I'll and I'll go and post them then. But I visited this winery. I really liked it. That the lady there was super nice, and I bought three wines from, well, two wines and a mead from them. Mm-hmm. Both of the wines are not my favorite, and I could see having if I drank them there, really enjoying them. Mm-hmm. But as compared to the other wines that I have, I have a lot of very high quality wines here, and I've been drinking very high quality wines lately. And mm-hmm. so compared to those, um, just really not the best. Uh, I, so this this is one of those things where knowing you, mm-hmm. I don't think this is the case. So there, okay. there are two things that come to mind. So saying that you know if you're drinking it there, you might have enjoyed it a lot more. Like there's a, you know the terroir yeah. of a winery or of a wine, but like also there's a the idea of a terroir, and it, it's not something we go over often about where and when you consume it. Yeah, and, yeah, and the what a you know, like I'm in a dark room in my house that's not as cool as I'd like the room to be. How much does that affect my taste of the wine? Mm-hmm. The, you know, like when you and I were just enjoying a wine together and the fact that you could speak words to the things that I was tasting mm-hmm. and couldn't get the description of, you know, how does that change my ability to enjoy it? On top of that, most of the wines you've been getting are from Last Bottle, which yeah. is a very high reputation source. Right. So how much does that jade your judgment right. on this? Yeah. And But I think you are familiar enough with wines themselves to say that, yeah, these this wine, which is – I'll give you, let you give you – Get it, give the name in a second. And two great varieties I don't know, which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And that might be the thing is it may not actually be bad wine, but, I mean, do you know these varietals? Yes, I do. And, and actually, you, okay. you and I both okay. have had Aglianico or Aglianico. I'm not sure how to say it. Uh, yeah, I, and I realize yeah. now I have. We, we both had that. That's an Italian one. And then Sinsalt. Um, I don't know for sure that you've had that. I've had it in blends. Mm-hmm. Uh, this particular wine is called Dos, Dos Uvas, and it is uh, from Blue Lotus Winery. It's 50% Aglianico and 50% Sinsalt. Um, it's 13.5% alcohol by volume, and these are the notes that I have for it. Is light fruity flavor, light tannins, light body, overall a light wine. And mm-hmm. today was a very hot day. It was about 90. Um, oh, it was 90 here. Oh, nice. All right. Yeah, so it was, it was a warm day, and maybe out on my porch or something like that, I could see this being a good red for drinking in the heat. Mm-hmm. I would probably, if I was outside, choose a chilled white instead, but this was so light that it, I could see in certain circumstances it being good. And I think if you and I were just kind of like chilling out at the winery in particular, because it's, it's a really cool place, um, mm-hmm. that like you and me just like, you know, chewing the fat or whatever and drinking this, we would have a really good time. Gotcha. Uh, but I just didn't think it was that great. I had one glass of it before we started the show, and I actually, just because I wasn't really that crazy about it, I switched back over to Freak Show. Um, mm-hmm. Which, you know, I like Freak Show. And I, I recently got a couple of bottles of it for very cheap. and Or Victoria bought, bought them for me. So mm-hmm. that was very nice of her. Although, what's interesting about this, it, and I think maybe it is that I'm getting a little bit jaded on on quality of wine, is I don't think this is very good. <laughs> so Well, uh, I, I think Freak Show is very different. and mm-hmm. But I think it's also, it doesn't pretend to be what it's not. Right. You know yeah. what I mean? Like So like Freak Show, it's like, no, 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 this is our take on a cab. Yeah. It's not, hey, yeah. we're a cab completely. It's, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. and the thing is like, I'm, I'm actually enjoying it. And now that you and I have started talking, I'm enjoying both of them better. So mm-hmm. it, it is kind of like in the, in the void of me only you know, by myself trying the wine or whatever. I, I didn't really enjoy either one. The other one that I got from Blue Lotus was their Tempranillo. And I, I kind of felt the same way about the Tempranillo from them. It was mm-hmm. light bodied, light tannins, light fruit flavor. It was just overall too light. It was not what I expected from a Tempranillo. Mm-hmm. The mead, on the other hand, was very good. And I'm not a huge fan of mead, but this was not overly like alcoholy tasting. It wasn't boozy. Mm-hmm. It was very full raspberry flavor because it was a raspberry mead. Um, it was uh, it was just a very, very good mead. I thought it was great. Victoria loved it. She wants me to order more bottles from them because it was well, it was her favorite thing. Well, let's, a- let's ask this question. Mm-hmm. So I don't particularly care for honey as a, a standalone flavor. Right. Um, so meat has never been particularly something I like, but I also think meat is very heavy. Yeah. Um, was this a light meat? It was lighter, yes. So, okay. and that seems to be what they what come at least from the the, the limited experience I have. They do offer quite a quite a bit of different wines. They're mm-hmm. also where they're producing the grapes. They are one hundred percent Texas. So with mm-hmm. the grapes and with the honey, they're one hundred percent Texas, but they're producing them in a in a location that's a little bit different than where Texas wines, from my experience, come from. And that is, uh, it is Central Texas, but it's Central Texas closer to Houston. So more humid, hotter, just a very different environment. So that sounds humidity wise, because I know Houston is very yeah. humid. You know, being on the the Gulf Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, that sounds like a lot like the Virginia EVAs, except for yeah. the because well, I know yeah. I know in Texas you get more consistent heat. 
Yeah, and also also we're not getting the elevation, and um, that's going to also affect it. Is that the when you go inland in Virginia, you do get the elevation, which it, it is still very hot and very humid there, so you do have the same types. Yeah, of problems. but the elevation is like under two hundred feet. So I mean, it's I not guess that's true. Huge. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, I guess mean, that's like, true. I mean, if Houston is complete plains, yeah, that would be more like the AVA you would expect outside of the the Delmar Peninsula, the right. the Virginia Peninsula. Yeah. If, for those who don't know, it's called the Delmar Peninsula, and I really didn't know that until like two years ago. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, the Delmar Peninsula, but that it has a huge cross breeze being yeah on. yeah yeah. So, so I wonder, I wonder what that part of Texas is like as far as wind goes, because you know, mm-hmm. one of the things is you can grow grapes fine in a humid area, but the the problems that you get are, are various types of rot and yeah and that is mitigated largely by breeze so if you can mm-hmm. get, if you can get a lot of that humidity to to kind of clear out and you get a lot of that a lot of breeze to go in and try and dry out the grapes so that they're not getting this mildew um you you end up you end up getting a very decent crop you know uh, uh, actually very not too far north of the delmar peninsula southern um new jersey you do mm-hmm. get very very good uh bordeaux blends mm-hmm. or style bordeaux style blends and yeah. Um, and I'm sure that you get good stuff in the Delmar P- Peninsula too because of the breeze. But and, and you know what, you may you may get great stuff down by Houston. I don't know. This is my only experience to it. And as as much as I hate to give a, a negative review on something, uh, I just don't think this wine is for me. It's it's way too light in flavor. It's, yeah. So um, this this may be talking out of my butt, but I I'm betting Houston probably doesn't have like Houston has a lot of. Has a, from my understanding, Houston has a lot of rain, mm-hmm. but it's probably like more like Miami, yeah. where it rains a lot, but there's consistent sun. Mm-hmm. So they probably have an overripeness problem that because be. of the the heat and the just the consistent sunshine. Mm-hmm. So they may have to pull the fruit early, that so the be. flavors aren't developing as much on the like on the the grape growing yeah well and the, you and know it, the other thing too is that the grapes one of the things that that is a problem is that if it rains right before harvest you have to make a decision do you let them sit or not because if it rains the grapes become engorged with fluid i and, want so 2015 when was the houston floods 2016 i wonder yeah that's a, that's a really interesting question um let's look let's look it up real quick uh yeah 2016 it looks like yeah so a year before the floods but right. that doesn't say that it you know yeah i mean it could have been a lot of flooding before then it could have yeah and and one of the things if you go to their website they have uh a lot of their wines on sale so it could be that just they had a couple of bad years it's hard to tell I, i'm interested to get other stuff from them just because like i said it's a cool place go if mm. you but they're not growing they're not growing the grapes there yet they are going to later on because i talked to a lady who was there and she was like well right now we don't have anything put in uh this was hill country so mm-hmm. their hill country location they just don't have any vines yet uh but they do have coming in in the future i guess they're going to put some so I'm, I'm curious to see what they what they have coming into hill country um i from what i understand hill country does pretty well with uh more vedre uh which mm-hmm. you, you and i th- i think have had that in blends before i think you have okay um but from my experience with texas the the best stuff that comes out of here is tempranillo um vignette albarino i've, I've actually had a couple of good bordeaux blend styles um specifically out of uh culmination vineyards mm-hmm. they, they, they actually they actually have two really really good blends um but they're expensive so and that's the other thing that kind of disappointed me a little bit about this is that it is 32 dollars a bottle mm-hmm. and that is 
considering I've been getting such good deals from Last Bottle Wines, it, it does kind of taint my opinion a little bit on wine that I'm spending that much money on a wine and not getting something that I think is high, high quality. Um, yeah, and, and that's the thing is like – and I, I would like caution the listeners. We – you know, we've always said we're amateur wine drinkers, but mm-hmm. we do know a badly produced wine mm-hmm. versus one we don't particularly care for. So for you to be on this this much on the fence on it, like it's not that it's badly produced like they, you know, just put piss in a bottle. Yeah. But it's not at, for $32. It's not a $32 bottle of wine right. even – given you know the limited production facility all that you know all the conditions to it so but you know all all that stuff up their game yeah exactly all that said and to kind of close this up i would love to talk to the producer of this because they make a fantastic mead um Mm -hmm. i would also just like to talk to them about this year and they're doing well enough that they've been able to expand to two locations so Mm -hmm. you know it could be that it was a bad year I also encourage people to just go there because it was a really cool place and they produce several different wines and these are the two that I got were the two that um, I thought I would like and because they're both very um, – I, I should have I should have tasted them before I bought them honestly and, and she offered them to me but I was kind of in a rush so I was like, nah, just give me the Tempranillo and give me this other de- red blend and you know that was a mistake on my part. I should have tasted them and maybe tried uh, – you know, they, may, they, may, they also offer – um, let me let me just go ahead and read off some of the stuff that they offer real quick because mm-hmm. uh, I, I really hate to give local wines a bad review, but when I do, um, actually, you know what? I didn't get a Tempranillo from them. I got a Prima, Prima Vito, and I'd never had one of those before, so I really didn't know what to what to equate it to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that one was actually a lot cheaper. So their Tempranillo is actually thirty dollars a bottle. I didn't try that one. I got their Prima Vito. Um, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. That one's $20 a bottle. So that – and that one, now that I'm kind of looking at it, for $20 a bottle, as if I recall, that was actually not terrible for 20 bucks. Uh, but I don't have anything to compare it to because I don't really know what that's supposed to taste like. <laughs> it's like when we were – you know, because you, you mentioned you are just sipping on free show as well. Yeah. It's like, you know, hey, this is what we were comparing all cabs to. And now it's like, you know, we compare most cabs to Pina. Now that oh, we've yeah. had Which a more is... high-end cab. Yeah, and you know what's funny is that since you and I had that Pina, I have had almost no straight cabs. <laughs> uh, it was it was because it kind of ruined me to them. Like I've I've had a few I've had a few that are really good. This is actually this Freak Show is not the Freak Show cab. This is the Freak Show Red Blend. Okay, um, okay, which was cheaper. And and yeah. not not quite the quality I think of it, their. It's cab. not the same type of wine, but I no. personally think it's a little more for what it is. It's more along the standard lines. Yeah, like the Freak yeah. Show, ca- like Pina, is it was, it was a very so good. different cab. Yeah, as is Freak Show, a different cab. A lot of the other cabs are much more middling. Yeah, and I think their red blend is much closer to the blend types, mm-hmm. right? Than Freak Show is to standard cabs. Yeah, so, and I, and I agree, and I think that you. So actually, when you come out for Childeberg, I, we're not going to do the $1,000 bottle of wine like we said. I do have a $200 bottle of wine that I want mm-hmm. us to do. And uh, I, I'm interested to know what the difference is for us between Pina and the $200 bottle. Yeah. Uh, and this is supposed to be very good to, a very good wine. I also got this one from Last Bottle. Um, 
But anyways, just kind of real quick, let me let me do the, the Blue Lotus. So they've got uh, a Permavito, they've got a Tempranillo, they've got Dos Uvas, which is what I'm drinking tonight, uh, which is 50% Aglianico, 50% Sin Salt. They have a Merlot. They have a, uh, it's called Red Lotus, which is their proprietary red blend. They have Black Lotus, which is a different proprietary red blend. Um, they have one called Left Bank, which is Bordeaux style, uh, from the Left Bank of Bordeaux. So probably closer to a Madoc type wine. Uh, they have a Movedre as well, which, uh, Jackson Blood has actually told me he thinks that Texas does more Vedre really, really well. Mm-hmm. I, I just do not recall what a Movedre is or what it's like. Um, but I would be curious to try theirs, uh, especially if you and I can ever make it down there. It's not really very close to where Childerberg is, so we probably won't make it down this time, but, um, mm. I would like to try it and just, just, and see it. And then they have one more, red and that's a and then it's the blue lotus which is uh is uh they they say it's uh it doesn't say what it is but it is uh cherry bramble berry spicy it's i guess just another red blend so and they also do uh port styles so uh fortified wines Mm -hmm. which i imagine those are probably better just based off of their meads are very good and then they also Mm -hmm. do white wines so they do uh a vignette they do a muscat which I, I don't really like Muscat. I don't know if you mm-hmm. if you drink those very often. Um, do, do you? I don't. It doesn't ring a bell. Okay. Uh, I don't like Muscats. They're usually too sweet uh, for me. Uh, but mm-hmm. Vignet I do like tip, typically, and they're usually dry or semi sweet. And they also do a, a Vemmer, a Vem or Ver Vermen. I'm not going to be able to say this, man. <laughs> Vermentino, Vermentino. So mm-hmm. that's typically. Um, it's typically like pear flavored or like like fruity apple kind of flavored or lemongrass kind of so they're more acidic um and very aromatic but a little bit sweeter than what i want so mm-hmm. now granted i also drink albarino which is is off sweet and i like albarino a lot so i i sometimes like i like once in a while i'll be like i like dry i like dry i like dry and then i have this one that's like totally off to you know left field or whatever that's not at all related to what yeah. I think it's supposed to be. It's just you know, that's just kind of how I am, I guess. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I am drinking another wine out of my uh, splash wines that I got for my birthday back in January. Um, this is, and I am not going to pronounce this even close to correct. Les Bordeaux Fin de France Red Red Blend. So it's a um, Les space B-E-A-U-X space G-L-A-E-T-S been to France. There's a wine of France so given that they're not defining the region on the bottle generally that means probably not that high quality. Yeah. Um, well it's... either either that or it's see this is one of the things that's interesting about European wines is that if it's a Vin de France then it is either lower quality or they're trying to do something that doesn't fit into the standard appellation guidelines mm-hmm. so like for example it could be a 100 percent bordeaux uh but they are not doing it in the style of bordeaux and if they're not doing it in the style of bordeaux they can't call it a bordeaux yeah so, so this one is from the car cascone region mm-hmm. um to the east of the langue rossani uh, so it's one of those ones that the appellation is apparently popular but you know this is this is a fourteen ninety five dollar bottle of wine yeah. uh, from Splash. It's not it's not the end of the world. It's not the best bottle of wine I've ever had. Um, when I first opened it, 
it was much more aggressive since I've had it open and it has a synthetic cork. I don't know if I didn't recork it well enough. Um, it's definitely oxygenated and it's mellowed significantly where it kind of loses all of the flavor. Hmm. Um, so it definitely tastes of red wine. It's a good table wine. It's one of those bottles that you and I would enjoy it together. Yeah. But with the idea that I'm having a glass, you're having a glass, maybe a glass, glass and a half. Um, our wives are having half a glass. Friends are having the other half of the glasses. Like it's not one of those ones where we would necessarily drink the entire bottle um, ourselves. It's about 12% alcohol by volume. Doesn't really have an um, a name or a, a vintage year on it. That's the other thing that leads me to believe it's not um, particularly good standard French wine. Right. Um, given that usually when they produce a vineyard vintage they will put the name the year on the vintage i may be overlooking it but i don't think so um so you know it's one of those it's not bad but i've had it open for four days now maybe mm-hmm. and it's really kind of just fully oxygenated oxygen fully oxidized yeah. yeah um and it's not super strong now the flavors that they the kind of the splash wine will give you kind of a kind of quick hits on it. Um, flavors of blackberry and spicy currants. I don't know currants very well, but blackberry for sure when it was originally opened. Um, it's a blend of Grenache, Merlot, and Sinsalt, which I'm not super familiar with. Uh, the Sinsalt, now obviously Merlot and Grenache, I'm pretty familiar with. Um, I, I don't know the, the blending amounts on that. It's one of those ones where really good when you first open it actually i uh, know um maybe i wrote the name down huh now i'm seeing some salt but i wrote down a different wine so i may have pulled the wrong one or maybe they changed the blend because i have uh carganara oh i but, see that yeah i wonder what that is so i don't know if i pulled the wrong blend or if there's multiple ones um or maybe it's an alternate name for the same thing no, I'm I'm pretty sure I just managed to completely make an idiot of myself. Or I no, I I pulled the um I pulled that varietal from vino uh, hmm. vivino.com. Oh, okay. Huh. Let's see. Um, it says alternate names um hmm, it doesn't have any alternate names. It just says that Carganara is or Carignan, Carignan, I guess. Uh yeah. origin from Spain doesn't give it an alternate name, so I, maybe it's just a mistake. Most commonly known as Mazu, M A Z U E L O, or Carinini, southern parts of France. It's a it's a Spain varietal that's popular in southern France. But mm-hmm. so, you know, not the end of the world, not the best wine I've ever had, but not so much that I would pour it out. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and that's, uh, I think that's actually a really great way to describe wine in general is would you pour it out? You know, that just mm-hmm. kind of just occurred to me because I did pour out a wine not too long ago yeah. where I, I had a couple glasses and I was just kind of like, I've actually, I think I've only done that twice. Mm-hmm. I, I poured out that one Spanish that I just, maybe it was for somebody else, but it's, it was so astringent to me that I was just like, I can't drink this. Uh, mm-hmm. And actually I shared a glass of it with Mr. Sue when he was up here. Mm-hmm. And then um, I've done it one other time with a sparkling, and it wasn't that the sparkling wasn't good. It was just that I just had had enough of the sparkling, and mm-hmm. I kind of had kept it in the fridge for a long time, and I was like, you know what? I'm never going to drink this, and I just poured and, it out. And at that point, it was probably like yeah, it's probably Yeah, it's probably no good anymore anyways. Yeah. Um, so before we get to our topic, yeah. I think we have a couple of things to talk about sure. real quickly. I believe we have had 
the first of the superior grapes announce that he is coming to Childerberg. That's right. So I think that we can actually announce this because he says that he's coming. And if he and doesn't said come, it on a recorded and posted episode. Right, exactly. Said it on a recorded and posted episode. So it looks like Scott Horton is actually going to be coming to Childerberg, which is really cool. Yes. Um, I feel... I, I think beyond cool is... Yeah, exactly. I, I, I have a hard time... Like, I want I want everybody to realize, like, how... When I first understood that he may be coming, mm-hmm. I was in... Um, I was in Nebraska visiting my sister, mm-hmm. and I was trying to tell everybody, and none of them really understood because I was like, you have no idea how big of a deal it is that Scott Horton is going to be there. Yeah. And... I would really encourage everybody who's going that listens to this show not to fan gush over him because he is he is a normal guy, but yeah. uh, and he wants to just have a good time with everybody else. But it is such a big deal to me and to you that yeah, exactly. And, and this is one of those things where like Scott is a name amongst himself, um, right? If you look at the reverence and the um, position, people like uh, Tom Woods. And Jason Stapleton, they put on Scott. It's super important, and you know he 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 represents a, a, a strain of libertarianism and the the anti-warism that you know we all can take a strain to emulate and respect and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But he's also one of those guys that it's not that Tom isn't a normal guy, but can you imagine Tom camping? Uh, I can, I can kind of imagine him camping, but I, I just feel like it would be not at Childeberg. I, I feel like it would be more like cabin camping. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's, and I think that's what will eventually, Childeberg will be able to offer too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah, that's the thing is like, I, I don't see Tom as the type of guy to be like, I'm going to a camp thing. Right. I could see Tom saying like, oh, like I'm going to this because there's also the Libertarian National Convention and this is the coolest hotel and right. it's a camping hotel. Yeah. So, but like Scott is one of those connections to the upper echelon of the Libertarian movement. Like, yeah. you know, if Walter, like I, I have a personal feeling that if Scott needed to talk to Walter Block, he could get a hold of Walter Block. Yeah. He may have to text Tom, but he could get a hold of Walter Block. Right. And he can get a hold of Tom if he needs to. Yeah. And and you yeah. and I just to kind of like clarify this for the audience, especially for new listeners who don't who don't know who we're talking about like for you and me, me in particular, I don't know how much for you Mason. Like Walter Block to me is like the end all be all of libertarianism. Uh, like, to Walter- me to me he's like the highest of the high. But uh. so because because Walter doesn't put out a lot of media, mm-hmm. it, it's one of those things where like I very much enjoyed almost every episode I've ever listened of Tom Woods. Right. But because his topics vary so much so often, I sometimes get off of the strain of what he wants to talk about because he's talked about so much. Right. But Scott so consistently is only talking about the anti-war things right and and that is clearly clearly his passion and his his area of expertise as well whereas like yeah whereas walter block i see is like the spiritual successor to rothbard so i like i consider myself a blockian Um, yeah and 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 that's what i was going to say is like the the thing with scott is i think it matters so much more Mm-hmm. the anti-war things because of the tendrils on how like right. you know listening to like how the war movement with threatening iran and venezuela how that flows into everything else mm-hmm. 
right is so important and then like when it comes out then you see people like scott or uh walter block step up and he's like well yes scott's right about war but here are these 19 million other things right that directly relate to them and and it's one of those things where it's not that i don't think i could have a conversation that would be enjoyable to both myself and walter block Mm -hmm. I find it hard to imagine being able to entertain Walter Block. And not that Scott is some lesser person, but I feel like Scott is more somebody like, I'd yeah. be able to entertain. Yeah, I mean, you, like, remember, you remember back like when uh, GW was running? Yeah. And it was kind of like, he was like, well, he's the guy that you could have a beer with. Yes. that's that, I agree with you. That's sort of how I see Scott Horton is he's like this genius that is that knows everything about everything when it comes to foreign policy, but also just a guy that is just cool and that you could hang out with. Yeah, the guy who's doing kickflips yeah. in the background and right. Walter Block's like, I wrote 16 papers right. <laughs> right. in the last 30 minutes. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and not that there isn't a value to that. Right. But Scott has such an outpouring of content. And, like, I agree. Walter Block is – so there, there are two successors to Rothbard. That isn't David Gordon because David Gordon is basically just Rothbard's son. Oh, yeah. No, 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 no not got, David Gordon. Uh, David, uh, well, maybe it is. Maybe I'm getting it wrong. Yeah, it's David Gordon. He's but, the one. He's the one who Rothbard was like. He's like the most genius person I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. You're right. You're yeah. So, David Gordon. I'm thinking of David. Uh, or no, not David. Um, who's the guy who worked for Reagan? Who was like the economist for Reagan? That's who I'm confusing him with. Oh, David Stockman. Stockman. Yeah. That's that's who yeah. I'm confusing him with. No, David Gordon. Like where Rothbard was like, he's a genius. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there are two, to me, spiritual successors to Rothbard. There's um, Hans Hermann Hoppe. Oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot. And yeah. Walter Block. Yeah. Walter Block is like Rothbard's nephew. Mm-hmm. New York Jew, amazing yeah. person. Right. Just friendly, amazing. And I think he, I think he, Rothbard has some rough edges that I don't think Walter Block has. Right. Whereas I think Hans Hermann Hoppe has those because he just doesn't care. But right. for the people he cares about, he's not, you know, a prickly person. Mm-hmm. So, but like the thing with Scott is like Scott is like distilled Rothbard, where it's, no, this is the only thing that matters. Mm-hmm. Everything that's wrong with the U.S. government can be seen. Everything that's wrong with intervention and this. Everything that's wrong with government manipulation of the money, everything can be seen from this prism of anti-war, and he can explain it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like you know, like, well, what's your portion of you know your position on abortion? I'm sure he has one, but it's like that is so irrelevant to the fact that we've just killed five thousand people in right, exactly in the last month. You know, like these just defined positions, and it, it's like everything that's wrong with it, you can see. So yes. Hopefully, Scott will be able to attend. We certainly understand if he cannot. Um, for those of you who are not us, because Jacob and I both can speak that we will not make him feel <laughs> like he has stepped into, uh, I don't know, I don't know, like, you know, he's a rock star. He is We're not going to treat star. him like that. We're going to treat yeah. him like a normal person. Yeah. Everyone else, same thing. You know, hey, if, if he's not your hero, hopefully by the end of the weekend he will be. Um, and hopefully, and, you know, I think this will be one of those things is, you know, if we can get a small episode with him talking about um, Lars Ulbricht in oh, that's that a good case, idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be really good if we could get a, a, a quick episode with him, not necessarily giving us an update, but just his general position and thoughts on it. Um, because 
it's so well like the few times I've heard him talk about it and when he's talked to Lynn Ulbrich, um the way he's able to articulate how insane that case is yeah. is amazing. That's true. And and that would be that would be really good. Yes. But because you've got to run soon, uh, let's go ahead and put a pin in that topic because we'll probably yes. we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll, yeah, topic. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll for sure come back to that probably because we have a couple more episodes before Childeberg. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to something that's a little bit more topical. Yes, um, and I've done a little bit of research on this and think it is very relevant to the show, mm-hmm. and that is the tariffs that are uh, being implemented right now by Trump. So I've got a article from Decanter Magazine that I think is uh, very poignant to the wine situation. And that... Uh, shock, shock. It's from Decanter. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Shock, shock. So it's called uh, Fresh China Tariffs, a Worry for U.S. Wine Producers. It is by our old friend Chris uh, Mercer, or is that, is that how you would say it, Mercer? I think so. Yeah. So we've read a couple of articles from him before. I believe that the last one that we read from him was actually about tariffs, and it was back in 2018, um, and very, very similar to this this particular article. I really appreciate his journalism, actually, because his journalism is not politically motivated. He just states these are the facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I will go ahead and summarize the article for you. So – The article basically says that in retaliation to Trump's new tariffs, uh, China has enacted new tariffs of their own. These tariffs will mostly be agricultural products, including wine. Um, The increase is set to go into effect June 1st. These will add an additional 15% onto American wine. Uh, Previously, the tariffs were 15% implemented on April 18th and then an additional 10% implemented on or in September of 2018. Uh, The total compounded or the, the compounded total tax after June 1st will be 91 one percent on American wine. Holy moly! That, yeah, it's a lot. Uh, so wine exporters to China, or wine exports to China, sank twenty five percent in value um, since twenty eighteen. So it is that the lower quality wines from mostly from California are not being exported anymore to China. So it's mostly just high quality wines. Um, and uh, China did remain the fifth largest consumer of American wine despite the decrease. Um, California is the largest exporter of wine to China. They, mm-hmm. do, they do also recognize quality from Oregon, and they also, particularly Oregon Pinot Noir, and they do recognize quality from Washington, but much to, to a much lesser extent. Um, the concern is that the U.S., California in particular, will fall behind in gaining market shares amongst China's growing middle class. Australia is positioned to pick up a lot of the slack due to the quote-unquote free trade deal between the two nations established in January of 2019. Um, Chile is also ex- expected to pick up some of the slack because Chile also has a similar free trade agreement with China. Mm-hmm. So that is the end of that article. Um, I do have another article that is related, which is from Business Insider. This is a little bit of an older article, and and one of the angles I think you and Mason or you Mason and I want to take up is uh, more related to this article, which is about Chinese um, imports of Australian wine. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so this article is called Australia Wine Exports Are Booming and China is the Thirstiest Market. It's from Business Insider. It's by Simon Thomas. Again, a really good article because it is very non-political, non-opinionated. It is just numbers, basically. It's just reporting. Yeah, it is. It's just straight reporting. But it is an older article. It's from October 24th of 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, And I actually, honestly, I think you and I have gone over this article once before. Uh, But I don't recall when it was, so. I don't. I don't think so. Oh, really? Okay. I, I thought you and I have talked about this before. and We have, okay. but I think it was further back. Okay, that's possible. But I could be wrong. Okay. So 2018 uh, was a fantastic year for the exports from wine from Australia. 11% in uh, value increase, but reflecting an increase uh, taste for premium wine from Australia with a volume increase of 5% in premium wines. So um, of the 11%, 5% of it, it was premium wine. Um, five years ago, the wine market in Australia was $1.8 billion, and now it is $2.71 billion in, in U.S. dollars. Um, the exports grew in most countries, but the U.S. had actually shrank. So in America, the consumption of Australian wine dropped by uh, $38 million, and um, U.K. is still uh, Australia's largest consumer. And But the largest growth area was Northeast Asia. Specifically, China, which accounted for 1.14 billion, or I'm sorry, so of the 1.14 billion exported to North Asia, 1.6 billion or 1.06 billion is Chinese. Mm-hmm. So um, that is the that is sort of the gist of the topic that I wanted to bring up. Uh, there's two angles that I wanted to take with this, Mason. One of the angles was I'm a little bit worried for the Australian wine market. So we'll, we'll go and start with my very negative uh, position first. And that is that uh, – and I have a good Mises article about this by um, – what's well, from the Mises Wire. So it's it's a, it's a William Hogginson Wang wrote this article. And it's about how the Chinese economy is actually – built on a bed of straw mm-hmm. and so it's a built on a burning bed of straw exactly yes yeah. so the chinese market it, it they do have a growing middle class right now but because of the way that their market works a lot of this is an expanding middle class that is not um it's a debt expansion yeah exactly it's a debt expansion so it's not so really a lot of these people are buying wine at the expense of future generations mm-hmm. and um they're going to at some point default, which if Australia is putting so much faith into the Chinese market, which granted is not their largest market. Still, the UK is their largest market and Europe. But um, if they're putting so much more effort into expanding in expectation of selling to China, this is a huge mistake, I think. Mm-hmm. And they're going to end up seeing the Chinese economy collapse and then their wine market collapse as a result. And this could send out really bad ramifications in the Australian wine market. Um, And we can kind of see a parallel to this in the California wine market. So there's a number of California winemakers who were selling very large amounts to China and Mm -hmm. are now selling zero to China. And Mm -hmm. so they expanded operations and changed their practices to suit the Chinese market because the Chinese market consumption, the the, the Chinese taste is a little bit different than the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. Um, They do appreciate prestige, it seems like, a lot more than quality. Yes. Um, And that is because wine in China at this time, because this is a lot of new money, is much more geared toward showing off to your peers that you are able to buy these very 
expensive wines than it is buying high quality wines. So as you it's, and I, it's, it's classic nouveau riche. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It, it's you're you're driving a Ferrari, but you had it converted to an automatic because you can't drive manual Mm -hmm. and you had it lifted because it was too low to the ground and you kept ripping the bumper off. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and so it seems like in the case, in a lot of the Chinese consumption, this is, I wouldn't, I mean, actually, no, I would say this. It is a distortion of the market Mm -hmm. and it's a distortion of the market due to Chinese intervention. Now this distortion is further compounded by Chinese tariffs in retaliation to American tariffs that are also distorting the market. Well, I, I think this is a classic example of the Federal Reserve actually being the problem ah. because the, Fe- the Federal Reserve has produced so much excess capital yes. in the form of – well, capital is not technically dollars. Right. But it has produced so much extra money mm-hmm. that that extra money has flown out of the United States like a leaky sieve as we purchased other goods. Yes. So that's flown a lot into China where they're going, hey, we've got all this money – and because of the way the Chinese um, economic controls work, they can't really mm-hmm. bring that money back into the United States. Which, right. you know, by by like there, there's this there was an article I wanted to send you, and I, I forgot to do it. Where they're talking about like the Toronto or Vancouver housing market, like British Columbia. Yeah. Where they're oh blah 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 one point six million dollars worth of like one point six billion dollars worth of like um, money laundering. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like, wait, you're you're complaining they're hiding money from the Chinese government? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. what's the problem? And because you know, neither you or I think money laundering is a crime. So, right. But like, that's the thing is like the U.S. has just bled trillions and trillions of dollars off that has flown into these other markets that has then made these other people feel like they're wealthier when they're not. Yeah. So and I think that's yeah. the ripple effect we're going to see. Well, and you're, and you're very, very, very much correct, and also in line with. Uh, one Mr. Dr. Ron Paul, who Ooh. also wrote an article on uh, Mises about this, and and his his uh, I guess diagnostic or diagnosis is that the issue is the Federal Reserve Bank issuing easy money to Americans, which then basically flows into China and creates a artificial Chinese middle class, which is then trying to well now Ron Paul didn't say this, but this is my conjecture from it, which is that. Now you have a a bunch of people in China becoming very, very wealthy from the Chinese fiat uh, just flowing into their country. Uh And then they want to purchase wine. And their wine purchases were at first Europe and, you know, California. And then because of the tariffs, now they're going to transfer kind of over to Australia. So now you have Australia expanding and now – California hurting from their their artificial expansion, um, their artificial artificial expansion. Now China is drying up. It, you know we saw well a decrease in Chinese in Australian imports, but also a decrease in Chinese imports of Californian wine by a very significant percentage, uh, and that is causing a lot of these people who and this is this is the boom bust cycle that. You know, most people don't really. It's hard for people to imagine this when it when it's in industries that they are not familiar with. But when you're in wine, for example, you may expand another five, ten acres, or whatever of your vineyard in response to expecting to be able to sell more wine to China. But if mm-hmm. the expansion in China is artificial and that dries up, or if new tariffs are put into place, your expansion was a malinvestment, and now you're you are flush with wine or flush with wine, um, and you should not have had you should not have been producing that much. It was a it was a false market signal, ultimately uh, sent by the Federal Reserve Bank. Well, and so 
this is not a pushback on what you're saying, but this is the I think this is the fifth tier effect. Mm-hmm. The first tier effect is the U.S. created prohibition or enacted prohibition, yeah, which destroyed much of the U.S. winery, much of the U.S. alcohol market, mm-hmm. especially in wineries, because there's no equivalent. Right, like a beer producer could produce something else because the facility for bottling and things like that isn't as specialized necessarily right. as a winery. Not to mention most of the wineries weren't, you know, the areas weren't under cultivation and things like that. Mm-hmm. So you had prohibition ending because, like in the U.S., alcohol consumption is still going up. Mm-hmm. Right now, we're seeing, you know, with the end of other prohibitions, possibly that adjusting. So, like, you've got that first effect. Then you have the fact that the U.S. isn't on, like, the the Federal Reserve exists. Then the U.S. isn't on a gold standard. Then the Chinese, the effect that the Chinese market you can't trade yuan or remy b the the chinese currency Mm -hmm. without using the chinese government basically yeah like you can trade it in you know between one american and another but a u.s citizen can't trade currency to a chinese person without going through the chinese controls Mm -hmm. so like they can't get currency out to invest in say better wineries in the u.s like they normally would so these people yeah. are purely banking on sales volume because it's so hard to get capital out of China. So, I mean, this is like fifth order effects, but it still all stems from the fact that this is an artificial expansion. But part of it isn't an artificial expansion because it's just a return to normal from government effects. So this is like one of those things where it's like the tagline of our show is how much government's in your, in your yeah. drink. It's so much more than you would think because, like, the, the pure idea of prohibition, how that affected U.S. alcohol consumptions across the board, mm-hmm. like pushing people into liquor and, like, all these other things where it's, like, wine might have been, like, you know, these areas that are coming under, con- you know, cultivation in, like, um, El Dorado County and places yeah. like that that normally wouldn't have had it. These could have been well developed mm-hmm. cultivations yeah you might have had 100 year old vines by now yeah um, i mean it's 50 year old vines because yeah. like sonoma could have been discovered and really pumping out and like the french could have been in you know showing us expertise yeah right exactly. long ago yeah yeah and, and it's it's very much it's a very unfortunate that um that's the distortion that it's had but at the same time, you know, uh, we have to deal with it now. And ultimately, due to what's going on now, is that, is that we're very much opposed to U.S. tariffs. We don't really have any control over the Chinese tariffs. But, um, you know, I would, I would love to have Bob Murphy on to talk about this stuff because he is, mm-hmm. he's such an expert in, in tariffs. But the um, – the Well, I mean, like, to be honest, yeah. as much as I would love to have Bob on, mm-hmm. I would love to have Walter Block on because the, mm-hmm. Bob is – Singular, not that Bob isn't. Bob is very broadly focused. Yeah, but I think Walter has just because he's older than Bob. Okay, has so much more general experience and knowledge to draw into. It's like that's the thing they said about Rothbard. Right. He like uh you know people several people who wrote books and you know got sent Rothbard a reader's copy beforehand and stuff like that. Basically, he sent back six or seven books worth of citations <laughs> right. to look into. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that, it wasn't yeah. like yeah. he goes, hey, I read this book once. I think this is related. He goes, page, verse, yeah. mm-hmm. wording, and then he goes, and then, you know, look at all these other implications. And I think Bob is getting there, but I think 
Walter has that. And I think that's right. what would be so interesting to hear Walter's opinion on like just the overall impacts that right. like just looking back that these had created. Yeah. You know, and it, it, it gets very complicated because it's like intervention over intervention over intervention over intervention. And then you end up get, getting the, the result now. And so it's very mm-hmm. difficult to see. The, the reason I say Bob Murphy in particular is because he is uh, one of his specialties is in tariffs. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's done a lot of uh, research and, and stuff. And he actually has a – he's a very recent Mises article on the myths of the benefits of tariffs. So mm-hmm. – and one of them is that um, it will help develop the domestic industry. But that, yeah. that's assuming that, that you have a domestic demand for the product. And mm-hmm. when, we, when we get into a very, very, very specialized product like wine, you may not have – a, I mean, we do have a developed uh, taste for wine in the United States, but it may not be as developed as you would expect, and it may not have the demand that you would that you could have otherwise if you had free trade across the board. Yeah, uh, and that and that's this is the thing that like has been galling to me about this the tariffs recently. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what business is it? A person in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. whom I do business with. Right. And, you know, set everything else aside. I voluntarily want to buy this good from China. Mm-hmm. Why should they artificially be able to make it more expensive for me to buy it for whatever reason? Right. What what right do they have to tell me that, no, 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 your choice is invalid and my choice is valid? Mm-hmm. They don't have any. Right. Like, and that's the the thing that is so galling to me is like, you know, yes, the Chinese do terrible things, but the U.S. does those too. Yeah. And like the idea that like, oh, we have to check Chinese aggression. It's like, well, the U.S. has overthrown more countries in the last 20 years than China has. Mm -hmm. The U.S. has attacked more countries than China has. Oh, but they've tried to interfere in our elections. I'm pretty sure we gloated about interfering in the russian elections yeah and if china had elections and it's not that they don't but i'm pretty sure we're interfering in those too and the chinese know it like we have the biggest spy agency in the world with the nsa where basically there's no internet traffic they can't intercept supposedly Mm -hmm. right like it's it's baffling to me that like oh we've got to get back at these people it's like no 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 you just need to get out of my business Right. I want to buy Chinese goods. I want to buy Iranian goods. I want to buy Russian goods. I want to buy Belgian goods. It's none of your business what I'm buying. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, and, and I agree. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's that's probably a pretty good place to close is that, you know, you yeah. know, I have, you, this is actually the last, I guess the last point we can make before we'll do uh, plugs is that you mm-hmm. and I have talked about this before is that, um, you know, California has done this before where basically we clean the clock of France in mm-hmm. and – uh, when California kind of hit the scene and just sort of showed up, France that like you know we're producing stuff that is you know leaps and bounds above you know beyond what you're producing, and then you know France had to step up their game. They've changed a lot of their practices in response to uh, California wine production. Now, granted, I think that I think France is producing ungodly delicious and fantastic wines right now. California is also producing ungodly, fantastic, delicious wines right now. And by enacting these tariffs and then getting the responses of the tariffs from China and so on and so forth and compounding all of these problems over and over again, you're really hampering quality wine from being produced is that yeah. you know, there may not be there may not be the demand in the U.S. market, but right now – 
although it is due to funny money in China, there is a growing demand for high quality wine from California, from Washington, from Oregon, from hopefully other places, you know, Virginia, Texas, or Texas, yeah. <laughs> hopefully Texas. Although we don't, we don't, uh, it seems like not a lot of Texas wine leaves, but, uh, you know, these are good wines and there could be an international market for it. And because of, you know, these are unforeseen consequences, you know, probably, probably the Trump elite or whatever doesn't really see this, but this is, this is a major setback. So ultimately what you and I are, our advocates of is free trade. Uh, just, just <laughs> because. Unconditional free yeah, trade. Exactly. Unconditional free trade. If somebody else, and actually I'll link to this article as well. If somebody else puts a tax on our goods, that's not a tax on us. That's a tax, it's a on, tax their on their consumers. Exactly. It's a tax on their consumers. That's, that's a problem for them. That's not a problem for us. Um, and as long, and if they're putting a tax on us and we're not putting a tax on them, we're getting their goods for cheaper. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think that's probably a good place to end. I know that you've got to. Well, Hang on about it. Or you got one more thing to say? We will. We will give the one policy prescription that tasting anarchy is probably ever given, and we will repeat it. Okay. We advocate a complete and total free trade agreement. Any and all who wish to trade with us, we will trade with them, with no restrictions, no caveats, nothing. Okay. If you want to trade with us, we want to trade with you. That is the policy that the United States should enact immediately and forever. Yeah. It, you know, it should literally be in, if you believe in the Constitution as somehow a document that binds the government of the United States, it should be the Second Amendment. While I agree with what the actual Second Amendment is, <laughs> the right yeah. to free trade should be like second or yeah. third, right. where it literally says that, no, the government cannot abridge and will not abridge the right of which you of whom you can do business with. Right. All right. Well, I think that's a great place to end, Mason, and uh, yes. I think something that you and I can both support. Let's go ahead and do plugs real quick. Uh, Certainly. So June 8th and 9th, we will be in enjoying the fresh, clean waters, hopefully, of Lake Buchanan in, what is it, north central Texas? Um, no, yeah, central I, guess, Texas? I, guess it, I guess it would be like north. North Central. It's a it's a little bit northeast of uh, or northwest of Austin. Northwest of Austin. Yeah. Um, so it'll be my first extended trip to Texas. Um, we will be joined by Car Campit. We will be joined by Mister Sue. I believe there's also one gentleman's name who has helped us that I cannot oh, uh, remember his name. Dino, who made Dino, our logo. the Dino files. Yep. Uh, I think some of the people are coming from uh, Peaceful Treason. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Scott Horton's coming, um, yes. or it seems like he's coming at this point. Um, mm-hmm. uh, there, you know, there's a bunch of other podcasters coming yeah, as well. The, oh, uh, gonna, Ro- Rolo from Rolo and Slappy Show is coming. Yeah, this is literally going to be one of those episode, one of those uh, events where it's mainly podcasters talking to podcasters, talking <laughs> to podcasters. Yeah, I'll be driving a wine van for those of you who want to go out to the three wineries that we are going to attend. Mm-hmm. Um, a fifteen seat wine van. Mm, yes, yeah. and it will have air conditioning, so That's that right. Texas heat will be able to cool down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll be having fun. We also have friendly podcasts that we are friends with, not only Rollo and Slappy and Dino of the Dino Files. We also have the Friends Against Government, where mm-hmm. Carr and Bird have shenanigans with and without guests. We yep. also are friends with Sounds Like Liberty, who have guests every time, but yep. Lizzie and Nikki P., Get me into some uh, cool music and hearing other people's stuff. That's right. And Nikki P has a new podcast um, 
that he's doing as well, which is dang it, I can't remember the name of it. I'll have to look it up later, but it's like an environmental, like a libertarian environmentalist podcast. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Yeah. I wasn't exactly sure who he was doing the podcast with. The mm-hmm. one preview episode he had. Yeah, the one critique, Nikki, that I would give you is in. It maybe you introduced it at another point, but there wasn't an introduction to who you two all were at the beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. So I was a little confused <laughs> on why I should be listening. Yeah, um, but it was but good. It, it was it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. and yeah, you know you know what that's was, what what's cool about it too is like you and me actually both are I wouldn't say we're environmentalists exactly, but we do care about the environment as far as like we like nature, we like going on nature walks yeah, and we, that sort we of agree stuff. With the personal property rights yeah, yeah. standpoint of the environmental standpoint. Right. So yeah, it was very interesting. And it was also the one episode that I've gotten a chance to listen to so far, it was it was very hyper specific. Yeah. To the locality of New York, which I thought was also very fun because it's kind of like our our episodes where it's like yeah. we're much more about wine and how it interacts, but mm-hmm. also how we can use that prism to look at other things. Yeah. And I thought that was very enjoyable. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think that is all well, the plugs I've got other than, I guess, follow us at Casey Anarchy at, uh, on Twitter. Um, also, I started a new group on Facebook, which is the Childerberg group, but it's probably mm-hmm. going to end up being the Tasting Anarchy group. <laughs> well, I but, think it should be both. Yeah, I guess it'll be two. both. Yeah, so, or maybe we should. Uh, yeah. But you can also go to childerberg.com to get more in- information about the event. Those of you who would like to attend but cannot but have a few dollars that they could spare, mm-hmm. um, we could certainly use the donations. We are also – are we done with shirts, Jacob? Shirts are done um, but we do still have uh, the GoFundMe campaign. Mm-hmm. So the GoFundMe campaign will end on, uh, I think, actually, I think it's the day that Trillerberg starts. That'll be the end of the GoFundMe. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can still give us money on GoFundMe if you want. And then uh, if you also want, you can also go to Childerberg.com and give us money on the PayPal. If you're into crypto, contact car camp it and he will give you a crypto address i'm not really sure Mm -hmm. how to you know i really should know more about this because you and i are both libertarians but i I just don't get i don't understand crypto really Um, that's the thing is i think we understand it perfectly well we just don't understand the applications on the ability to give yeah i guess that's true yeah um so but yes from jacob at tasting or jacob at tasting anarchy and mason tasting anarchy have a good one everybody all right have a good night everybody stay free knock down windows and tan down door drinking afghans and calling for more drinking wine for you to drink wine wine for you to drink wine wine for you to drink wine pass that bottle to me hoy drink it man oh give me some of that slop Oh, pass that bottle to me. If you want to get along in Peterstown, buy some wine and pass it around. Age runs up to 49. All them cats, they love sweet wine. Drinking wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Wine for you to drink wine. Pass that bottle to me. Hoy! Wine, wine, wine. Elderberry. Wine, wine, wine. Cherry, cherry. Wine, wine, wine. Blackberry. Wine, wine, wine. Horton Sherry. Wine, wine, wine. Oh, pass that bottle to me. Now down on Gilfield at Willis Den, he wasn't sailing for the American gin. One soldier wanted a bottle of wine. He hit that can for a dollar and a dime. I drink a wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine, wine for the other day. Wine, pass that bottle to me.
got a nickel, have you got a dime? Let's get together and get some wine. Some buys fifth and some buys four. When you get together, you're doing things smart. Drinking wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine. Wine, for you to drink wine.